Good morning. Uh, my name is Brian. If you don't know me, I'm one of the members here. Um, subbing in for Andrew as he's still out with uh, Daddy's his sickness. So if you don't mind, I'm going to start off just praying for them, and then we'll get started. Um, Father, thank you for the string of good news so far with Daddyus. Um, things seem to be going on course as they can. I pray you'd continue to heal his body, comfort the packs, help us serve them in whatever way we can. In uh, Jesus' name, amen. So we're on the third Sunday of Advent. Um, last week, Joe preached on one of the four themes of Advent. He preached on joy. The four themes are uh, hope, joy, love, and peace. And so I figured I would take today and talk about love. Um, and specifically, I want to focus on the connection between Advent and love. Um, I could put that in the form of a question, which is, why do we talk about love at Advent? Why is love one of the major themes here at Advent as we're celebrating the coming of this baby who would be our Savior, Jesus? Now, love is obviously a major theme of the scriptures. You'll find it everywhere. And it's obviously a very major theme of our faith. But why specifically Advent? Now, you could pick tons of texts about this, but one that came to mind as I was thinking and praying through this was uh, one that's probably very familiar to all of you. Um, some people call it the football verse, as Sean pointed out to me last night. Um, you see it at sporting events, you see it painted on athletes, you see it uh, on signs. And it really stood out above other texts that I, that I was looking through to describe why we celebrate love at Advent. And the verse is John 3.16. So uh, if you have your Bible, you can turn to John chapter 3, verse 16. If you don't have a Bible, there's some over there on the table. You can grab one. So John 3.16, more than uh, any text I could think of, uh, connects these dots between Advent and love. And so my, my prayer that as we focus on this today is that we would stand in awe of, we would focus on, we would soak in, we would drink deeply of the love of God in this verse. So I'm going to read the verse. It'll be a short read, and then I'm going to pray again just to ask for God's help. Um, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Father, your love is amazing. I pray we would see your love in, in the new ways today. I pray we would soak in your love. I pray we would see that specifically in the giving of your son, Jesus. As the song says, O come, let us adore him. Let us adore Jesus today. In Jesus' name, amen. So for some brief context here, uh, we're in John chapter 3. We're in the middle of a conversation between Jesus and this religious leader named Nicodemus. Um, Jesus has been discussing with Nicodemus how you enter God's kingdom. And Jesus says something profound, which he says that you must be born again to enter God's kingdom. Nicodemus gets confused. He's like, wait, I was already born. How can I be born again? And Jesus rebukes him and says, how do you not understand these things as a teacher of the law? So that's, that's the context before this. And then 
this conversation continues a little bit later and down here to verse 16 where Jesus tells us something amazing about entering God's kingdom. Uh, one small note too, uh, I don't know what Bible you're using, but your Bible might not have a quote here on verse 16 in front of the words. My Bible, it has, it's got red letters here and attributed to Jesus. Um, other Bibles attribute it to John. Um, it's actually ambiguous here whether this is John commenting on what Jesus said or whether it's Jesus actually saying it because in the Greek manuscript, there's actually no punctuation at all. So you have to interpret from context and words whether uh, where quotes go, where periods go, commas, all that stuff. So some put a quote here, some don't. Uh, just wanted to call that out for to be thorough. Um, there's not a, a right or wrong answer, it's ambiguous. So um, I'm going to attribute it to Jesus. Um, I, I trust the people at the ESV, I think, in my reading and limited research, it makes sense that Jesus said it. But um, when I say Jesus, if you want to replace it with John, that's fine. <laughs> so back to our question, why is love a major theme of Advent? Um, if you heard the verse, you probably saw the answer right here, which is, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. So we're contemplating at Advent, we're contemplating the arrival of this baby, Jesus, the God in the flesh who came, who was laid in a feeding trough, a manger, to sleep when he was first born. And we see here that God gave this baby, he gave Jesus, because he so loved the world. Love. So there's a connection between Advent and love. Now, I want to say that I really love this time of year. I love Christmas. I love hot cocoa. I love the traditions. I love putting up the tree with my family. I love uh, sporting events surrounded it, like all of it. I love Christmas. Um, and I love, too, that we get a whole month to contemplate our Savior and the coming of our Savior. I mean, we do it all the time as Christians, but we, we specifically focus on the coming of our King. But I think in the midst of all this Christmas around us, uh, and even when thinking about Jesus, we can, or at least I can, forget about the love of God in it. That this Jesus that came, he is a demonstration of God's incomparable love for you, for me, and for the world. I mean, even in the midst of hearing the gospel, apart from Advent, we can, we can think about all the things Christ has done for us, but at least I can. I can miss the love of God in it. So through this verse, I want to spend the rest of our time just unpacking different aspects of God's love for the world in John 3.16. But first, we need to answer two questions about the verse. Uh, first, who is God? And second, uh, what does Jesus or John mean when they say the world? So the first question, who is God? And you might even wonder why I'm even asking this question. You're like, why are we talking about this? We're in church. A um, few reasons. One, uh, you might not know God. You might be exploring Christianity. Uh, you might not have spent any time in church. So I want you to know who this God is. Um, second, we live in a city, Seattle, um, and even in, for more broadly in America, where God is increasingly unknown. Um, my generation, the generation after mine, um, we're increasingly agnostic, atheistic, pursuing some vague new age spirituality. Um, so it's important for us to know how to speak into that. And we, we can't assume that when we speak of God that people 
understand who we're talking about. And then the third is just for clarity. Um, you can hear God in a lot of different places. And, and when people use that word God, they're talking about something completely different than the God Jesus is talking about here. I mean, New Age spirituality can use the word God to refer to this force that's binding the universe together. Muslims talk about God. Jewish people talk about God. Hindus talk about God. They all use this word. I mean, even our, our currency has the word God on it. It says, in God we trust. So this can be very confusing. But I want to be clear that Jesus, when he says God here, he's talking about a specific person that's different than all of those things we just mentioned. So who is God? Um, the short answer is that he's the one true God, the only God. He's the one who revealed himself in creation, all that we have around us he made. He's the one who revealed himself specifically in his son, Jesus Christ. Genesis 1.1 says, In the beginning God, the same God, created the heavens and the earth. He made everything. He's the one in whom we live and move and have our being. He's the one who determines the times and places we are born. You were all born where you were born because God decreed it so. You live here in Seattle because he decreed it so. He gives us life and breath. Apart from God, we won't breathe our next breath. So he made everything you see. He rules over it in perfect sovereignty. He even says things like he knit you together in his mother's womb, in your mother's womb. <laughs> he also says that you are fearfully and wonderfully made by him. So you are, you are unique. You are fashioned together by this God. He is perfect. He's spotless. He's mighty. He's all good, no evil, all light, no dark. And he's worthy of our praise and our honor and our worship and our whole lives. There is no other God. So when Jesus says God here, this is the God who he's talking about. This is who I want you to have in mind. Um, so the second question, what is the world? Because it says, for God so loved the world. What does he mean by the world? Now, throughout John's writings... The world, even in this one gospel, the Gospel of John, uh, the world is mentioned 78 times. Other books, it doesn't even come close to that. So it's mentioned a lot. Um, and the second thing about John's writings is that the world typically means kind of the sum total of humanity. And it also has kind of a negative bent to it. Let me show you what I mean through a few examples. So John 7, chapter 7 I'm going to be going through a bunch of verses, so if it's tiring to flip around, you don't have to flip around. Um, so John, 7, verse, John chapter 7, verse 7, Jesus is talking, and he says, The world cannot hate you, but it hates me. The world hates Jesus. Because I testify about it that its works are evil. Jesus testifies that the world's works are evil. So you see that negative connotation. Uh, John 1, 29. This is John the Baptist proclaiming who Jesus is. He says, Behold the Lamb of God 
who takes away the sin of the world. So if someone's coming to take away the sin of the world, that means the world has sin. Sin is disobedience, rebellion against God. Uh, John 16, chapter 8. Jesus is, is talking about the coming of the Holy Spirit, and he says that when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. So the Holy Spirit's going to come and convict the world about sin, again, this rebellion against God, about judgment, how Jesus is going to come and judge the world for its evil deeds. So I believe that, that the world here in John three sixteen is also this same world. That it's all persons, and specifically it's, it's the sinful, wicked humanity, which we're all a part of. If you're a Christian, you've been pulled out of that, but, but which we, when we're born, we're a part of. We are, and it's organized against God, and rebellion against God, waiting for judgment, as we'll see soon. So we talked about how God made everything, and when he did make it, he made it good and right and perfect. And then he made the first people, Adam and Eve, and he made them good and right and perfect. But after that, Adam and Eve listened to the voice of Satan. And they disobeyed God and everything changed. The world went from being with God, for God, to being organized against God, ignorant of God, rebellious against God. So now we set up pretend gods of all sorts. Some, some people still, they literally set up a statue made out of wood or other material and bow down and worship it as a god. We set up false ideas of God, like I mentioned earlier. We, we use our own human speculation to figure out who he is. Uh, we set up idols that we worship that, that aren't physical, but things like career and, and money, booze, entertainment, even our own self-image among other people, we, we, or sex. We use these things. We serve them. We, we give ourselves to them. They, we think they give us life. So we've traded God, the true God, for false gods. And when, when Jesus here is talking about the world, he's talking about the collective of, of people who are worshiping false gods against God. So now, why am I talking about all this with the world, who the world is? Uh, the reason is, I want to show you the first thing that we're going to see about God's love, which is that God loves his enemies. He loves everyone in the world who's against him. He loves you and me who are, or if you're a Christian, you were. I want to be clear about that. When you're a Christian, this all changes. But we are or were organized against him, ignorant of him, hating him, yet he loves the world. I mean, think about people who are evil in, in the popular eye. I'm not going to mention names. Um, I mean, don't get me wrong, you and I are born evil as well. But, but think about the horrible people you, you hear or see in the news. 
or the horrible things you see they do. God loves these people. Or evil people who have committed evil against you. I don't want to minimize what they've done. They, they will be judged for it apart from Christ. I don't want to minimize it. But think about people who have committed sometimes even grievous evil against you, that God loves them. Or if you have something that's, that's haunting you, that you've done in your past, maybe even last night, that's, that's wicked and evil, we all have those things. That God, God loves you. So that's the first thing about God's love we see, is that God loves evil people. He loves his enemies. That's not how, how we work. That's not how the world works. This is divine love. So the second thing uh, we see is that God's love moves him to action. Specifically about coming to earth by sending his son. So again, we, we're in Advent, right? And we're celebrating the coming of this, this baby Jesus who God sent. And notice here in 16, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. So he loved the world, so he gave his only son. Now another thing we know about God through the Bible is that God is one. He's the only one true God, but God is three. Father, Son, and Spirit. I'm not expecting you to understand that. I don't think anyone can fully understand that. Um, but, we, but the Father is the one who's sending the Son. The Son is the one who sent, and the Holy Spirit is the one who leads people into knowing God through Jesus, among other things. You see that up in verse 8. Um, so God loves the world that he gave his Son, Jesus. And I want to talk a little bit about who this Son is. Uh, John 1 Verses 1 to 3. In the beginning was the Word. This is referring to God the Son, Jesus. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. So the Son of God who God's sending is God. He was in the beginning with God when God made everything. All things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. He was not made. He was not created. He, with God, everything was made through this Son. So when God so loved the world, he himself came as this baby. And listen to this in, in 14, chapter 1. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. So the Son became flesh and dwelt among us. He didn't just stay in his, his, on his throne. He came to be with us. Now, why did he come? He didn't just, just come to be with us. He came for a specific purpose. And we see that again in, in 16. You see, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that, so here's the purpose, whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. So there's this purpose that Jesus has come for. 
Um, I'm going, and this purpose actually shows us more things about God's love. And I'm going to go a little bit out of order from the verse. I'm going to start with uh, the parts at the end, and then we'll go to the whoever believes part. So, one purpose that we see is in these words, should not perish. Whoever believes in him should not perish. Now, what does perish mean? It's, it's a fancy word for die. So I talked earlier about not wanting to minimize evil or minimizing sin. And God does not minimize sin either. That as members of this world, all those people, uh, the, the evil people we thought of earlier, ourselves, as members of the sinful, rebellious world, that we are destined to perish, to die. A little bit farther down in this chapter, the last verse in the chapter, 36, it says, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. The wrath of God remains on him. That God will not stand for your rebellion, my rebellion, against him, the world's rebellion against him, that God will bring his wrath on mankind. That it says the wrath will remain upon you apart from Jesus. God's wrath is upon you if you're apart from Jesus. Jesus, he came here as we're celebrating Christmas, he's going to return. He's going to judge the entire world. And if, apart from him, he will judge you rightly to perish eternally, forever, in hell, apart from God, in torment. This is very heavy stuff. I'm not trying to be trite with this. But I'm talking about this because I want you to see something about God's love. That he sent his son that you would not perish. Listen just one verse later. For God did not send the son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. So in this first coming of Jesus. He didn't come to judge or to sentence us to perish. He came to save the world. So God so loved you that he sent Jesus that you would not perish and that you would be saved through him. Now Joe talked about this last week in 2 Peter this was 2,000 years ago, and God has let the world go on for 2,000 years in all of its sin and rebellion. Why has he done that? Second Peter tells us that he has not yet brought his wrath because he doesn't want you to perish. He's patient toward us, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. So when God sent Jesus 
It's a proclamation to the entire world that you can be saved from God's wrath. And this came because he loves the world. And so, not only did he so love the world that we would not perish, but on the flip side, he sent his son that we may have eternal life. So it's not only that we won't die over here, it's that we get something else, which is eternal life. Now, life, this theme of life is all throughout John as well. So when, when this is, eternal life is spoken of, what is it talking about? Eternal life in John actually has two parts to it. There's a qualitative part of it and a quantitative part of it. Um, so there's a quality to the life that we get in Jesus, and there's a, there's a quantity of it. The quantity is probably obvious. It means it lasts forever. <laughs> but the quality is uh, what kind of life is this that we have? So there's a few verses I'm going to jump through. Um, John 10, verse 10. Jesus is speaking again of himself, and he says, the thief comes only to steal and, and kill and destroy. The thief is the devil there. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. So, so this life we get from Jesus is an abundant life. John 6, 35. Jesus said, again, talking about himself, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. At this life he's offering, it's better than what, than what food or drink can offer to our own physical stuff, sustenance to keep us alive. That the life Jesus offers is bigger and better than that. It's better than anything the world can offer. And then 17, verse 3, Jesus is praying to God. And this is eternal life. So he's telling us exactly what eternal life is here. That they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So when you believe in Jesus and you get eternal life, what comes from that is that you know God. That we were once ignorant of God, but now we know him. That God, who's the author of life, who made everything, we are now reunited with him. He's the author and source and sustainer of all life. And now we are truly alive again. The scriptures say that on our own we are dead in our trespasses and sins. But now in, in God, in Christ, we are alive. Truly alive. Fully alive. What God meant for us when he made you. When he made us. So that's, that's the, the qualitative aspect of this. Uh, quantitative is that it lasts forever. John 6, 40. Jesus talking again. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. That even if our bodies die, on the last day when Jesus returns, he will raise us from the grave will have new bodies be with him in his kingdom forever. It's life that literally lasts forever. It will never end. 
So much of this world is spent trying to prolong this life. When the world forgets that Christ offers life forever in him. John eleven twenty five. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. So for the believer in Jesus, even if you die, you will live. This is God's love that he offers life forever to sinners who are sentenced to die. So we've seen his purpose in sending Jesus, that we, that we would not perish, that we would have eternal life. The question is, we've already talked about it, how do we get it? He says, whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. So this believing in him, anyone who believes in him is who does not perish and has eternal life. So I want to unpack what this believing in Jesus is. So John 1, verse 12, says some, something similar. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So believing in Jesus is, is receiving Jesus into your life, into your heart. Giving your whole life over to him as your savior. He's the one who brings you from death to life. John 4, 14, he's talking to a woman at a well. And he says, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will be, never be thirsty forever. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So this salvation, this eternal life, comes from Jesus. Jesus gives it to you through the living water that he offers. And then most clearly, John 14, verse 6, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So it's believing on Jesus, it's receiving Jesus, it's taking the water, and the, he refers to bread elsewhere that he freely offers to you that leads to eternal life. It's going through him, and there is no other way to this life. Now, how did he accomplish this? Um, John wrote this gospel, which is a narrative of Jesus' life. He also wrote some letters to churches. So I'm going to jump over to 1 John for this. 1 John 4, verse 9. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. Again, there's our word love. We're talking about God's love. The love of God was made manifest among us. That God sent his only son into the world that we might live through him. That sounds very similar to John 3.16, doesn't it? 
And this is love. Not that we have loved God. We didn't love him. But that he loved us and sent his son. So that's John 3.16 again. But then there's this new part here. To be the propitiation for our sins. Now, propitiation is not a word that we use every day. Um, what does that mean? Well, we talked about in John 3.36, the wrath of God remains on those apart from Jesus. And in John, 1 John 4, it says that Jesus is the propitiation for our sins. So this propitiation, in short, it means that Jesus took the wrath of God on our behalf. And it's specifically about that. So this baby who was born, who we're celebrating at Christmas, he would grow up, he would live a life fully faithful to God, tempted in every way, yet without sin. And at the end of his life, he laid his life down. Even though he was innocent, he was nailed to a cross as a criminal taking all of God's wrath intended for us upon himself, for anyone who would trust in him. Listen to what he says about this in John 10, 14. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, listen to this, and I lay down my life for the sheep. The sheep are his followers. He is the shepherd. For this reason, my fa the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me. Jesus laid it down himself. But I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. So Jesus received this charge from his Father that his whole purpose, it says that he set his face like flint toward this, was to come and lay his down life lay down his life to take away the sins of the world. He was the propitiation for our sins. He took the wrath of God intended for us. He took that on the cross. And then notice he said that I take my life up again. After he died on the third day, he rose from the dead, fully sealing and finishing this great work of salvation. So God so loved the world that he came to earth and, and he, in order to give us a way out of perishing and a way to eternal life, he himself took the wrath of God on our behalf. That is love. It, it is divine. And the thing that we see here in the propitiation for our sins is that God so loved the world that the way to life is free. You don't have to follow five pillars of faith to get eternal life. You don't have to earn a certain report card with God to gain eternal life. I've heard a, a Mormon missionary tell me that, that life is kind of like a piano recital. We're practicing for a piano recital. That one day, you're going to perform for God. And life is about practicing and practicing and practicing so that one day, you might do your recital and he might approve. And if he approves, you're in. That is not what Jesus came to give us. 
Jesus came to freely give us living water that whoever believes in him will be saved and live. That, that Jesus is the one playing the recital for us. That his righteousness is what we get. So it's free. No matter what we've done against him, Jesus covers it. That's love. And we're not done yet. And I want to focus on this word, whoever. Whoever believes will not perish. This gift that he's given us, this love that he's shown us, is not for a specific uh, race of people, a specific group of people. It doesn't depend on what family you were born into. It doesn't matter what you've done, what job you hold. That God's made salvation available to anyone, everyone. We just have to receive him. So just recapping what we saw about God's love. He loves his enemies. His love moved him to action to come for a purpose. He loves us that we would not perish. He loves the world that, that he gives us freely eternal life. And he makes this life available to anyone. This is what we're celebrating at Advent. The incomparable love of God. So some questions to close. Uh, first one is, do you believe? Do you believe in this Jesus? Have you received him? I know most of you, I know you have, I know most of you in this room have, which is beautiful. But if you don't, just remember that the wrath of God remains upon you. But Jesus came to take that for you. Do you know how much he loves you? Right now is the time to believe. Uh, second question. If you do know him, do you know how much he loves you? Do you think about that? Do you meditate on that? I mean, just in this little verse, we see how much he loves the world. Uh, throughout the scriptures, you see even more about God's special covenant love for his people that he saved. He loved you before the foundations of the world. Because of the great love with which he loved us, he sent us his son. And if you know him, is his, is his love changing you? What do I mean by that? First uh, John three sixteen says, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our life for the brothers. So when, when the love of God hits you, you are changed. And you are, as a believer, you are continually being changed by the love of God to love the brothers, to love the people around you here, to love the people in your families. Elsewhere in the scriptures, it even talks about loving your enemies and praying for those who persecute you. 
John 13, 34 to 35. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. That when you're a disciple of Jesus, the distinguishing mark of a follower of Jesus is the, is the love you have, especially for other disciples of Jesus, but also for the world. Because it demonstrates and it shows it's a mark of the one we follow, that, that students become like their masters, that Jesus, who so loved us, we can follow suit and love others. I'm preaching to myself here, by the way. I'm a very selfish person. So is his love changing you? So, so meditate on this through Advent and Christmas. Just think about God's love for you, God's love for the world. Proclaim his love. Praise him for his love. I'm going to pray. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him would not perish, but have eternal life. That little verse, Lord, has changed the world because of how you changed the world through your sacrifice for us. Give us eyes to see your deep love for us in Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.